we have been brought up in a world that says that's life. Last week, we, we heard about the song of creation and how the song of creation is a song of rescue. And we look at that clip and wherever we are in life, whether we're 23 or 73, you know, there's probably some part of us that can relate to that or to what we're looking forward to. And we say, is that all there is? And as we go through, um, as I talk tonight, I really want this time to be a time where you're asking yourself, will I choose to respond to God? Also last week we talked about that when we worship, we're worshiping in response to having been rescued. And so... Antley made this statement last week. He said, in Jesus standing up for us, he restores our dignity and gives us freedom. He restores our identity and brings us freedom. And in restoring our dignity and freedom, we become people who can do the same for others. And that sounds great. But let me continue. That's what we do. If you're not doing it, you're not being a disciple of Jesus. And that's hard. That is a hard thing to hear. I mean, I was sitting over here, and I remember going, wow, am I? How do I get to that place? Another way to say it is this. This is from a, a poem called The Night. It said, we, we were freed from something for something. Freed men have two choices, run for it or stay and fight to free others. And so as we go through tonight, really, what does it look like for us to become rescuers, whatever stage of life we're in, wherever we are in life. And we have to begin with the gospel. You, you hear it, we sing about it, that we serve a God who comes and rescues and restores. I mean, and it's a radical offer. I mean, what's on the table, what we're saying is that we serve a living God. He's present today. And he is intimately pursuing each of us. I mean, each of you he's intimately pursuing. The offer continues. Forgiveness of sins. Newness of life. Purpose and a call to rescue others. And I just, I mean, there's a part of our hearts that long for that. And then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will gain it, will find it. What good would it be, will it be for a man if he gains the world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? I mean, we hear the offer of life. We hear the offer of rescue. But then we hear this that says, well, I've got to deny myself. I've got to take up a cross. I've got to lose my life. What does that mean? What does that look like? And before, I want to read, um, there's an author, he's a Franciscan monk by the name of Richard Rohr. And in his book, uh, Adam's Return, he says this. He says, if anyone tells you that you can be born again, enlightened, or saved, and going to heaven, and does not first speak to you very honestly about dying, do not believe that person. There is no renewal in all of nature without a preceding loss. You cannot be born again if you do not die first. 
the prosperity gospel is no gospel at all. Death and life are an internal embrace, two sides of the same coin. We cannot have one without the other. So if anyone tells you that you can have what the gospel offers, this radical claim, and it costs you nothing, they're selling you something. They're watering down what Jesus says in order to bring you in the doors. But that's not what he says. He says if you want life, you've got to lose it. We need to be rescued. I mean, that song of creation, that song of worship that we sing, of being rescued, can only be sung once we've been rescued. And as we go through tonight, the reality is, and it's a hard reality, but it's true, that many of us can't or aren't rescuing others because we ourselves have not been rescued. So what's the first step? I mean, what's the first, what's the first place that I go in this how? And that's that we must be rescued before we can rescue others. And so as we look at, at what that means is, well, first it's we have to be rescued from our separation from God. And that sin, that's the, that's the chasm that's been placed between us and God. And that was accomplished by Jesus dying on the cross, that he came and he atoned for that. That he paid for that. He made up the difference, so I don't have to. So we've res- we're restored in relationship. But we've got to be rescued from sin. And in, the reality of it is in most churches, Christianity comes down to behavior management. How well are you managing your sin? How well are you performing? And that's not what Christianity is about. It's not about trying harder. If sin is our biggest battle, then adventure, passion, life becomes duty, and our hearts die. Our hearts have no room to come alive in that place. The reality of the gospel is that what if God doesn't hold your sin against you? What if it's done? What if he wants to give you life? I mean, and that's something, I mean, I struggle with that. I struggle. Because I feel like, shouldn't I be a better man, Christian, father, or husband after all God's done for me? But that is, that is antithetical to the gospel. But this is where a lot of us get stuck in the journey. It's like we get stuck, the picture I had was, you know, all these little uh, name tags with Velcro with different sins on them. And we get in the process of, oh, I, I sinned. i got to take that off. And we get in this process of, of taking them on and off, on and off. One of, as one of my friends said, he said, you know, I, I, he called me and said, you know, I prayed for an hour, and by the time I got done saying I'm sorry, I was out of words. So we get in this process, and in reality, the gospel says, it's been done. You're dead to sin. It's forgotten. So we've got to be rescued from this, this lie that says what Jesus did wasn't enough. That it's still up to us to make up the difference. It's still us, up to us to perform so we can be accepted, so we can be loved. And as I said, I, I mean, I struggle with this. So that's the first place. that We have to be rescued. And for some of us tonight, as Antley was talking about, you know, remember that first time where, when the name of Jesus meant something, 
for some of us tonight, it may have never meant anything before. That tonight, your response may be bridging the gap, coming back into relationship. So that's the first place. So we've got to be rescued from that separation. And a lot of times, that's where the message ends. But there's two other areas of our lives that we have to be rescued from. The next is that we have to be rescued from the stories, that, the small stories that each one of us are living, the small lives. And it can come in a couple different ways. It can come in the lives that you've been handed by your family. You know, have you ever met somebody and they go, yes, my father, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, we were all doctors, and I'm a doctor, and my three children will be doctors, okay? They're passing on a story. Have you ever heard of a mother or father or, or, or guy or girl say, yeah, my dad spent most of his time in prison. My mom's an alcoholic. Um, you know, I lost my virginity at 11. I'm promiscuous. That's a story that they're, that, that they're living, that, that's been passed on. And it can be money. It can be religion. I mean, a lot of the stories that we're living have to do with what we were told in church. The next are the stories that, the one that we're trying to create. And usually it can be summed up this way. Get a good job. I mean, sorry, get a good education. Get a good job. Get married. Have a family. And whatever you do, don't blow it. I mean, just get through life without screwing up. And we, we pour our resource into trying to make that happen. And the last is, the last story is the story that we're trying desperately to hide the story that we're trying desperately to fix on our own. I mean, for some of us, that may have been what we did last night after the Georgia-Florida game. That could have been what you did an hour ago before you came here. That's the sex, the lies, the deceit, the eating disorders, the abuse that you've suffered, the abortion. And that's part of the story that you have to be rescued from. Let, let me give you a couple of examples of this because it's in the Bible. I mean, you know, when you read through the Bible and you look at the men and women God used, I mean, they're no different than us. I mean, I'll pick out four big ones. The first one's Saul, first king of Israel. Okay? So Samuel comes up to Saul, and Saul's a young guy. He's been out looking for his father's lost goats, I think. And, Saul, and Samuel comes up and says, you're, going to be the, you're the chosen to lead the nation of Israel. And this is his response. He goes, but am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? And is not my clan the least of all clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? The next is Gideon in Judges. <laughs> the Lord says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon you, you mighty man of valor, you warrior. And he goes, but sir... Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why hasn't all this, ha- has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our fathers have told us of? Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us in the hands of the Midians. But, and, and then the, the Lord, in his patience, says, now, Gideon, I'm with you. And he responds again, but Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest of Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Another example is Moses. You know, after 40 years basically in exile, God, he meets God in the, in the burning bush, and God says, 
you're going to be the one who lead my people into freedom. And his response to God is, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And the last is David. David's just forgotten about. I mean, Samuel goes to the house of Jesse and says, Jesse, bring out all your sons. Jesse doesn't even think about David. It's only after all of his sons have passed and Samuel's like, uh, it's none of these. Does Jesse goes, well, there's one other, but he's out tending the sheep. And so, for many of us, I mean, we see those examples of unworthy, disqualified, forgotten. I mean, how many of us in this room fall into one of those categories? That we believe the life we're living, the story that we're living, has in some way made us unworthy, disqualified, or we just feel forgotten by God. That we're out tending sheep while a much bigger story is being played out. God desires to rescue us from our small lives. And the last area that we have to be rescued from is from our brokenness. I mean, that's Isaiah 61, you know, when Jesus said, you know, he uses Isaiah 61 in Luke chapter 4. He says, I've come to heal the brokenhearted, set the captives free, release the prisoners. I mean, part of the process of us being rescued is that he has to rescue from our brokenness. And guess what, y'all? We're all broken. I mean, all of us. In this room, it's a level playing field. Like I said, it doesn't matter if you're 23 or 73. It's a level playing field. We're all broken. And it's usually our brokenness that keeps us in our patterns of sin and our separation from God and in the stories, in the story we believe that we're destined to live. And so we have to be rescued from that. We have to be rescued from that separation. We have to, have to be rescued from that small story. We have to be rescued from our brokenness before we can rescue others. Or I should say, we have to be in the process of God restoring us. We must die to the control and limitations that our existence, our failures, our sin, um, our talents and strengths, those limitations. One of the songs we were singing said, you know, it's the overflow of a forgiven soul. And I'll expand that. What we do when we rescue is the overflow of a forgiven and restored soul. So once we've died to that, once we've made that choice and said, okay, God, deal with the separation. Rescue me from my small story. Heal my brokenness. Then what? We kind of find ourselves in this, uh, the picture that we had in pre-service prayer was that there's a book that was open. And immediately the word that, when I was hearing this, the, the, the thought came that it's the book of life. And that the page that it was open to was blank. And so were all the pages that followed, but the pages that have, were full up to that point. And so we find ourselves in this place where today God is pursuing you intimately to say, will you allow me to rescue you and rewrite the rest of your story? I mean, today, the impossible is possible. What you thought could never happen, your purity restored, your passion restored, your passion stepped into 
your relationships restored. Those things, God, that's God's heart. That's what he does. But we have to be willing to position ourselves there. So once we're willing to position ourselves there, then what? Okay. We must find who we are and the life and calling that God has created for us. I saw, um, I saw a, a marketing brochure for a ministry, college ministry. I can't remember the actual name of it. But this is what it said on it. It said, turning students into Christ-centered laborers. And in my heart, I go, that sounds great. There's no part of that that sounds good to me. I mean, I'm already dying in the world, and so I get to surrender and then become a laborer. That sounds like a, that sounds like a, like a, like a slave camp. That's like, I mean, it does. I'm going to be a laborer. Wow. Okay, that's, there's nothing of my heart that comes alive when I hear that. And that's not Jesus' heart for you. In Matthew, um, yeah, Matthew 11, 28 through 31, he says, and, and we hear this a lot, and I'm going to kind of dig into this for a minute. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Take my, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you know, that verse sounds great, but when I hear it, I say, his yoke is easy? Who here feels like life is easy? And I hear that, and I feel like I'm missing something, that I'm not getting it. And so I want to unpack that for a second, because when we say easy, we lose something in the translation. Let me give you a little background. And when Jesus was a carpenter, you know, we have the picture of a carpenter, you know, making furniture and, and you know, doing the work for houses and stuff. But in, in the time of Jesus, one of the primary purposes of a carpenter was to fit oxen to create the yoke for oxen to pull heavy burdens. And back then, the yoke weren't padded like they are today, okay? They weren't like one size fit all. The responsibility of the carpenter was to come and hand fit the yoke directly onto each oxen. So it was a unique fit. And so the, the word that Jesus uses there, when he says my yoke is easy, the, when he, the word for easy is Christos. And that does not mean easy. What it means in the Greek is that it is good. It is well-fitting. It is not harsh or galling. And I had to look up the word galling because I didn't know. And what that means is it doesn't frustrate. It doesn't chafe. It doesn't exhaust. That it fits perfectly. And so Jesus' yoke is well-fitting. And what he's saying to us is, Come and let me give you the yoke that I've created for you, Meredith. Are you, Sarah? Are you, Derek? Because I only, they're, there's, they're one of a kind. And they're meant to fit you and only you. And we ask ourselves, okay, in this place where we find the open book and we, we, we want to respond to God, we go, well, where do I find the answers? Well, he says it. Come to me. Take my yoke. It's not a thing that we have to do. We just have to receive it. It's not based on our ability to get there. We just got to show up and go, I want mine, Lord. Show me mine. But we, ask, we say, I feel unworthy, disqualified, forgotten. And he promises there, he says, but I'm gentle and humble. 
Jesus knows what you've been through. And he will be gentle with your heart. And King David in Psalm 18 said, Your gentleness has made me great, God. God will be gentle with you. I promise. If we'll come to him. He also said, we say, okay, well, once he gives me the yoke, what will, I, what will I do? How will I know what to do next? And he says, learn from me. I mean, throughout the Bible, he says, I will teach you. I will show you the way. And he promises this. There will be rest for your souls. Well, that means there will be rest for your, your thinking, your emotions, for the deep places of your heart. A great example of this is David, when David's preparing to go out to meet Goliath. And here's a kid, a shepherd boy, who's getting ready to go out. And he goes before King Saul and says, don't worry, I got it covered. And King Saul says, okay, wait, before you go, let me put my armor on you. Now here's the king of Israel saying, I want you to carry my armor into battle. And this is what it says. Then Saul outfitted David as a soldier in armor. He put his bronze helmet on his head and belted the sword on him over the armor. David tried to walk, but he could hardly budge. David told Saul, I can't even move with all this stuff on me. I'm not used to this. And he took it off. Then David took his shepherd's staff, selected five smooth stones from the brook, and put them in the pocket of his shepherd's pack, and with his sling in hand, approached Goliath. Do you know what kind of idiocy that must have looked like to the army of Israel? Do you know that in that place, he's standing in the king's presence, the king gives him his armor. There's an expectation. There's a story that's being passed on there. If you want to follow God, it looks like this. David was wise enough not to wear another man's armor. And because he was free from the limitations and the hindrance and the weight and the chafing, and the, how it would constrict his movement. He flowed. He won. But most of us, me included, carry around other people's armor because we don't know what our yoke, our armor looks like. And we're too scared to take it off. You cannot fully step into your yoke that God created for you to be a vessel of rescue if you simply look at these things, your competencies, your education, your training, the needs of others, or the expectations of others. That formula will always have you shooting low. When we were worshiping, Paul said, was talking about those who've lost our voice. This is what it's talking about. A singer who sings to rescue. A dancer who dances to rescue. An artist who creates to rescue. A lawyer who litigates to rescue. A doctor who practices medicine to rescue. A warrior who fights to rescue. We think that we have to be somebody else or somewhere else or further along when God says, I want you to take your yoke where you are. Let me give you life. Let me restore you. 
and rescue you the way I've created you to rescue you. It may not look like anybody you know. No one in your family, no one in the church. A friend of mine asked, I want to go into ministry, but th- these are the only three jobs that I could find. I said, well, what if what God's calling you into doesn't have a name yet? What if you're the first? But that goes back to, I mean, that doesn't compute. Remember, we're disqualified, unworthy for God. I mean, who am I to save Israel? I'm the least of the least. I just feel forgotten. But that's the truth of it. St. Arrhenius said this. He said, The glory of God is a man fully alive, and the life of a man is the vision of God. Another way to say that, Gil Belli said, Don't ask yourself what the world needs, or what the church needs, or what your family needs. I added that. Ask yourself what makes you come alive. For what the world needs is men and women who have come fully alive, who have been fully restored this side of heaven. So our calling is not a task, a need, or an errand. We are assigned to jobs within our calling. Our calling fundamentally is this, to let the environment feel the weight of our freedom and glory. But what does that require? It requires us to be free. It requires us to step into the glory that Antley was talking about this morning. God wants to sing about you from the rooftops. This is my creation. So as we seek our yoke, as we deal with the separation, as we deal with our stories, as we position ourselves before God, and we say, God, show me the yoke. What next? I'm going to cut through for the sake of time. What next? We engage exactly where we are. Most of us miss the opportunity and the circumstances to rescue because we're trying to get somewhere so we can be qualified and worthy of being of being a rescuer. I mean, whether it's a degree, a recovery, whatever the case may be, marriage, whatever, that we're trying to get somewhere and so we miss engaging in the moment. When Jesus rescued, what did he do? He didn't start a ministry, he didn't start an organization, he didn't start a committee. What he did, he walked up to somebody and entered into their suffering exactly where they were. And it's messy. You know, that the, we hear the term, the passion of Christ, but that word means, patior, passion, literally means suffering reality. I mean, Jesus stepped into reality and goes, this is messy. And everyone, the world is broken. And I can choose to engage where I am to bring life. A friend asked me last week, he said, is life always this painful? My answer was, yeah, it is. But what happens when we allow God to rescue us is that we walk in a different relationship with our own suffering and the suffering of others. It's no longer hopeless. I can step into the suffering knowing there's hope, there's life. 
the God who rescues is here. So as we pursue God, as we allow Him to restore us, our brokenness, you know, deal with our sin, uh, to rewrite the story or begin writing the story, the new story, and He reveals our yoke, what He's designed for us to do, we engage. And we do those things with this understanding. And then I'll wrap up. We embrace this truth that we all again, whether we're 23 or 73, are on the journey, or it's a journey of ever-increasingness. That we expect, we want the now. And God says, you must, you know, if I walked to Derek and said, Derek, you're going to be, you know, the pastor of a 10,000-person church. And Derek Hatton walked the journey to the place where his strength and his integrity and his relationship with God, with God was intact to handle that, what would happen? It would just, it would be devastating. And so we're on a journey of ever-increasingness. The, waiting, the weightiness of our lives and glory is so much that God must give us the strength of our hearts. Many people take out others because they don't have the strength of their heart to wield their gifts or calling. Our journey of restoration is becoming whole enough so that we can possess the strength that God has given us, that we can possess the yoke, that we can fully walk in our call. In Exodus 23:30, it's talking about the Israelites stepping into the promised land. And this is what, basically this is what God is saying. He's saying, I can't give it to you all at once. The verse goes like this. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. So God told them they were going to have a promised land, eventually led them there, and knew that it was a process as they increased in strength and wholeness to take possession of what God had promised them. This is the rest of that poem called The Night. We were freed from something for something. Freedmen have two choices. Run for it or stay and fight to free others. I choose to stay and fight. The path that leads to life is not easy to see. Jesus said it is hard to find. It will require risk. You will make mistakes. But if you walk with him, you will become like him. As you become like him, others will follow you to him. That is the Great Commission, and that is true discipleship. And so as we prepare to enter into a time of ministry, where are you along the journey? What is it that your heart desperately needs now? Is it the rescue? Is it, God, what is my yoke? God, remove this armor from me that I've been carrying, it's wearing me out. Is it, Lord, show me what you have for me now where I, you want me to engage? That I'm not looking to the future and missing the present moment, which is all we have. Let's stand.